Clatu, you're listening to episode 6 of season 12 of the GNU World Order. I'm a day late posting this episode, or two days, I'm not really sure, I'm very confused. As I think I mentioned in the previous episode, I am traveling right now, so I'm in a strange location. I mean, strange in terms of not the usual place for me, it's not actually that strange here. So I, w- I went from New Zealand, which of course is the summer, is in the summer right now, to Boston, which is quite wintry. If you've ever been there, it's, it's quite a cold city. And then to Philadelphia, and that's that's turning out to be not as cold as Philadelphia, but it's it's kind of cold. So the building that I'm in, you may hear over my voice that there's central heating, so there's kind of this hum, this ever-present hum, and I don't really have any control over that, so the sound quality is going to be different, and I don't have all my usual stuff in front of me, so I'm kind of winging it. But I think we're going to be okay, because I have two things that I want to talk about. So one thing is GNU Parallel, and the other thing are run times. This is all sort of born out of two things, really. The, the previous episode, I was talking about Zargs. And while I was working on a build script for a project that I'm trying to kind of... trying to kind of put to rest, you know, I'm trying to finish up this, wrap this project up, so I'm doing this this build project, or um, build script rather, so that it finally works correctly every time, very reliable, that sort of thing, and and I've, I've been finishing that up, but that build script happens to have used Zargs quite a bit. That was probably my main experience with Zargs, is that build script. So, I, I think I might have used Zargs in another script, but, but I mean, certainly that's that was where I really, really had 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 learnt how to use Zargs. And in the script, as I was as I was running it and testing it, I was realizing that it was taking a very long time to 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 build. And it kind of suddenly occurred to me that I shouldn't be using Zargs, that I should be using Parallel, GNU Parallel. GNU Parallel is pretty much I would. I, I would I would express it, and this is incorrect, but I would express it as an implementation of Zargs with parallelism built in. I think what would probably be more accurate is to say that it's parallel with syntax like Zargs. But in terms of how you use it and what you do with it, you may as well pretend like it's a magical version of Xargs that happens to do a lot of parallelization of tasks. And since I was converting this script, well, since I was rewriting the script, essentially, I had the opportunity to go back and run it twice. I could run it once with Xargs, and I could run it once with GNU Parallel and compare the differences. The difference has been about half time, half half of the time that it requires to build with, uh, from between Xargs to parallel. I forgot to write down the numbers, but the I, I, if I recall correctly, the Xargs build time was 4 minutes and 12 seconds, and the parallel build time was, for a while it was down to 2.35, 2 minutes and 35 seconds. 
it did increase a little bit as I as I threw some extra processes in that were not able to be parallelized. So I, I kind of almost don't want to count that against it. But if if we do, then we could at least still cut off about a about a quarter of the time because the the XARG's build time was uh, I think said four minutes and twelve seconds something like that. And I just did run one with parallel again, and it's three minutes and six seconds. So you can you can quite quite honestly consider that to be at least a quarter of the time has been shaved off by making a bunch of tasks parallelized. And man, does it feel good. So the build script that I am, am messing around with so that you can see it for yourself if you want is the build script for a game. It's a card game, not not one that I came up with. I, I do have a card game that I sort of uh, invented or whatever the term for it is when you make up a game. But this one is not mine. It is a card game that I revitalized or revivicated called Dark Cults. And Dark Cults, I kind of... Had, I did a Hacker Public Radio episode on it some quite some time ago now, talking about how it just kind of had blown my mind. It really, really was a big eye-opener for me, because I got to see through all the documentation that, that had originally been released with it back in 1983, and then again in 1985, you could see the transition from a two-player game to the the special solo game, the the one-player game mod that was included with the 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 add-on rule set in 1985. And I saw this, I saw the the transition, you know, the the modification, and I and I totally understood in that moment how programming in the analog setting worked. I mean, I'm not saying I learned everything about it. I'm just saying that it it opened my eyes to the idea that you can program things in an analog setting. You don't need it to be digital. And that literally had not occurred to me previously, even though I knew things like, oh, there's an abacus and things like that. I just didn't know. I didn't understand the, the, how the concept of programming translated to the, the physical world. And so this game is a really cool game. I, I'm really fond of it. And it is long out of print, so I revitalized it. I, I, I basically rebuilt it from scans online, but since the art is not only copyrighted but also poorly scanned online, I just swapped it out with some open clip art, uh, trying to stay within this, the original spirit. I combined the 1985 add-on pack with the original pack and kind of made this little game. And I printed it out for myself on cardstock, and I play it quite regularly, actually. It, it's a fun... I play it as a solo game. And it's just a really fun creative exercise. It's it's kind of the 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 long forgotten middle ground between RPG and and competitive, you know, normal card play. Or as it says itself in the instructions, it's 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 neither an RPG nor a war game. It's it's a game about storytelling. So it's a really, really cool game, a lot of fun, I can't praise it enough, and I would really like to make it such that the build script actually constructs a printable PDF. So I revisited the build script the other day, and and and, and spent uh, about a day re rewriting it, 
And so if you want to look at that build script, gitlab.com slash notclatu slash dark occult. That's D-A-R-K-O-C-C-U-L-T. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes, I'm sure. And it's called builder.sh. And if you look at builder.sh, you can look at the, the, the raw version of it or whatever. And, and you'll see all of the different uses of, of parallel, GNU parallel. And you'll see that the, the syntax of GNU parallel is exactly the same as Zargs. In fact, I, I have the, the command that invokes parallel, I have made into a variable called Zarg-like. And that's because I figure if someone wants to build this and happens for some reason not to have parallel installed, they could swap out Zarg-like with Zarg, and or Zargs rather, and, and it would still work. So it is a drop-in uh, replacement slash um, uh, add-on to, to Zargs. I guess really a replacement because it doesn't add anything on. It just makes it a lot better. So you can do, for instance, parallel... And then if you need to break it out into separate, you know, into a variable, a holding place, you can do dash capital I percent or whatever whatever special character you want to use. And then dash dash max dash args equals whatever. And then you can do the thing just like you normally do. So very, very handy. And in fact, I one of the, the, the ways that I'm using it in this script is that I have it construct a sequence of PDFs that I want to merge. So the the way that I that I create this thing is that I have one A4 letter or A4 size paper, whatever you're using, of the back, the card backs. You know, the the, the thing that gets printed on the back of the card. So you got that, and then on the f- front, of course, you have like 14 different pages. But you so you only need you need one back.pdf that you're going to print 14 times. Now I figure if people leave it as separate PDFs, then that's fine. But if they, if they invoke the dash dash merge option, then I, I wanted to be able to give them a consolidated PDF with front, back, front, back, front, back, front, back, front, back, 14 times. To do that, I needed to get a, a listing of all the PDFs in the build folder. And then I needed to combine those PDFs, I needed to stagger them with a file called back.pdf. And the way that I ended up doing that was I just did an ls of any PDF starting with a zero. So ls space zero asterisk PDF, because I knew that I had renumbered all my PDFs so that they were you know, 001, 002, and so on until 14. So I piped that list to parallel. And then I did a dash capital I percent, then a dash dash max dash args equals one. So I'm getting one listing per iteration. And then I do an echo percent back.pdf. And then I have a listing of all my pages staggered with. 001.pdf back.pdf, 002 back.pdf, 003.pdf back.pdf, and so on. And, and I feed that output to a program called PDF Stapler, which is 
uh, a new sort of replacement for PDFTK, which basically just takes PDFs and merges them together. So that was the that's the use case for that one, and that's fine. I mean, that's not that's not actually something that Parallel really comes in very handy. But I did want to kind of give that example to you just so that you kind of saw how how you can really construct completely unique sequences that that you that otherwise would have just you know you I mean the other way that that you know before I realized I could do that with with Zargs or Parallel was to do a listing of all the PDFs starting with zero pipe that through like a WC-L thing to establish okay this is how many PDFs I have so okay I've got 14 great so now I can I can do some sort of loop where I'm building this block of of names through you know one through fourteen, and I can increment some variable or use a sequence um, command and kind of get all of that. So yeah, it's it's something that you can do. You can mimic it, but honestly, that is just so much easier. Like it really is. Parallel or Zargs makes it so much easier. But uh, I won't go on praising it because I did that all last episode. So the other use for parallel, and this is where it really makes the difference. This is the one. When I, when I when I when I converted this over to parallel, it cut the time literally in half, and I thought that's where we were going to stay. But like I say, I've got some other processes that can't really be parallelized, uh, mostly in the doc build. So parallel dash i percent Inkscape dash z dash e percent dot png dash w some some value for width dash h some value for height dash dash export dash dpi some value for resolution percent and what that does is it takes a an inkscape file of of whatever the percent is and and it converts it to a png at a certain value and that's that's really the most you can you can try to convert png uh, svgs to png with image magic but it will be miserable and fuzzy and you will not like it. Inkscape does a really crisp job and so you it's it's really better to just invoke that. And it doesn't launch the GUI or anything. It's a command of Inkscape. You you can just, you know, it's it's without opening Inkscape, you can export an SVG file to PNG. So that's what I do. But that takes time predictably, you know, processing graphics, go figure it it takes CPU cycles. So parallelizing that is brilliant. It works. It works great. Uh, and I don't know how it works because I don't really know how Parallel manages its jobs. And I'm sure I could learn a lot more by keeping Top open or something and and watching processes spawn and so on. All I know is that it took my build from I think it was at three minutes and some change down to two minutes and 35, which I had. I, I remember calculating at about half because it was it was almost four minutes basically without you know without parallel, so it was amazing. Yeah, so I highly recommend. In spite of my previous episode, never use Zargs. Use Parallel if you've got it on your box. Now, having said that, it is it is one of those uh, applications that, for whatever reason, isn't really necessarily always on a Linux box. I had to install it specifically on. On Fedora, which is the the laptop that I have, my work laptop, which I have with me, and 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 I was quite surprised that it wasn't there already because I just kind of felt like GNU Parallel, it's pretty ubiquitous, should just be there. It's not. Uh, Xargs is, and I don't know exactly the difference. Well, I do know the the difference. 
Xargs is bundled with Find, and Find is on pretty much all Linux boxes. So that's I guess what that's why you inherit Zargs. Why the why Parallel isn't part of the Find utils, I don't know. But I just wanted to to sing the praises of GNU Parallel. So if you if you've never if you have not used it, start using it instead of Zargs. And I used to be very confused about Parallel because I didn't understand how it worked, especially since their documentation is actually really really bad. Sorry, Parallel team. I, I, you know, I don't. I don't mean that in a mean way, but it's just true. Also, I don't mean to actually imply that the GNU Parallel team is listening to this show. But anyway, um, it, it's you know, there. If you go to the tutorial for for GNU Parallel, and, and as is often the case on the internet, you go to, you know, you look up uh, tutorials for Parallel, and you find 20 different variations of sort of what the GNU Parallel team has put together. Which is silly because that that's like if, why do a tutorial if you're going to just repeat the established tutorial that came from the manufacturer, or the vendor, or whatever? I, I don't understand that mentality to be honest. But I, I guess discoverability, I guess. But uh, GNU Parallel, the tutorial, it goes through this kind of weird illustration of well, you know, you can do uh, a parallel. And then echo A B C D and then three um, no I think actually they just do it actually what we'll do is we'll do a par- parallel echo and we'll do uh, dot 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 or not dot 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 um, colon 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 and then we'll do chaotic space neutral space lawful and then colon 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 and then we'll do good evil, neutral. And so then if I hit return there, we get a list, uh, we, we get a combination, we get the combination of each of those terms. So I gave it echo, colon, 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 chaotic, neutral, and lawful, and then colon, 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 good, evil, and neutral. So our output is chaotic, good, chaotic, evil, chaotic, neutral, neutral, good, neutral, evil, neutral, neutral, lawful, good, lawful, evil, lawful, neutral. So you see it, it, it took it took those three clauses and and distributed them across each other for every possible combination of them, which is really cool to do like sort of matrices and stuff. But I have no idea what that has got to do with the way to actually use parallel. I, I'm sure it's very very useful. Don't get me wrong. I just have no idea what I'm supposed to do with it. Like honestly, I really just have no clue. Um, I mean, I guess you know, I I, I guess one thing is that I could. I could have done the illustration that I was talking about earlier where where like the first thing that I mentioned where I needed to have zero asterisks PDF and then back dot PDF so I could do something like parallel echo colon 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 um, you know uh, some variable representing the zero asterisk PDF so whatever that would be and then colon 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 back dot PDF and then I would get PDF and then back and but so it's a different notation my point being that that just doesn't seem the best, the, the most effective way to, to communicate to people how to use parallel in a real world. So I finally came across this line within the parallel documentation. So see, it's not that bad after all. Um, and it says, parallel uses the exact same syntax as zargs. So if you use zargs, you can use parallel. And that's what completely blew it open for me. I just thought, oh, I can do that. Like, I'd, if I can do that, then yes, I can 
that's easy. And and it is easy. It is that easy. So if you've practiced with Zargs since last week, which I'm assuming you did. I forgot to mention that that was your homework, but you probably did it. As soon as you got back from work, you sat down, started using Zargs. Well, now you can forget everything and start using Parallel instead, Which by, by which I mean don't forget anything. Continue to do what you're doing, just instead of the word Zargs, pop in Parallel and you'll be good to go. And and you may speed up, you know, several of your processes. So that's it's worth it. Okay, let's have a cup of coffee, because the coffee here is actually really, really good. So let's do that. you had a great cup of coffee. I'm having really, really good coffee this trip. Uh, I've had some really fantastic coffee in Boston from just various, various restaurants, and one of the best, so one of the, one of the great cups of coffee that I've had so far is at uh, one seaport hotel. If you go into the restaurant there, it's called Aura, I think, A-U-R-A, for breakfast. It's an expensive breakfast. It's insane. I don't care because work was paying for it. But the coffee is just fantastic. It is rich and deep, but not acidic. It's just, it is really, really good. I, I, yeah, I came for the breakfast and stayed for the coffee. It was really, really good. So that was one. The other one was from a little cafe, or well, bagel store, really, uh, called Better Bagels. Better Bagels, it's 83 Seaport Lane. Uh, so... That's fantastic. They, their their bagels are okay. Their coffee is fantastic, and I, I don't mean to. I mean their bagels are fine. They're they're great. I've had better bagels than better bagels, but I have I've had worse bagels than better bagels. So their bagels are fine, and their salt. Look, here's the thing. First of all, if you're gonna make a bagel, you you, you got to make sure that you're boiling at the right amount of time. And I know this now from experience. And I'm not saying that I can do it well. I'm just saying. Like, I can't do it consistently, but if you boil a bagel for not long enough or too much, and then you bake it for not long enough or too much, then the consist, you know, the, the, the texture of the bagel in the end just isn't really what you wanted. So, it's tricky, and I sympathize, because I've been making bagels at home lately, and, because I can't find really good ones in New Zealand, so, um... Yeah, it's just, it's tricky is what I'm saying, and it, so I have very high standards, so the fact that better bagels bagels wasn't the best doesn't that's not that big of a deal it's understandable but the i think even more significantly than that is that if you're going to advertise that you have a salt bagel then you need to have a lot of salt on your bagel like serious amounts of salt you cannot sprinkle some salt some some rock salt on your bagel and call it a salt bagel a salt bagel correctly made at least in my humble opinion and I don't. This is just my own opinion that I've formed based on other salt bagels that I've had that have been really good. It should be caked in salt. When people see it from a distance, they should think it's icing. 
that that's how much salt there should be on the top of a salt bagel and yeah it's going to hurt your mouth it's going to it is going to give you chemical burns on the inside of your mouth but all the best foods do so you eat it and you take a bite of the salt bagel you endure the 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 pain you know and you try to kind of quell it with the cream cheese that you have on the bagel and and then to follow it up you take a sip of hopefully really really good coffee and that it it's part of that's that's the price of eating a salt bagel is is that is that experience but it's also the reward and and their salt bagel just didn't do it for me but their poppy seed bagel was quite good and their coffee as i have been saying is quite good uh, so good that several times i really wished that i hadn't had to go off to work that day so that i could have gone back for a second cup of better bagels coffee because their coffee was better than the coffee uh, available in the area of my of my work so that's been great and then here in philadelphia i've had several cups of coffee but not consistently enough to remember where i have gotten them but even the coffee that i've just been making at friends houses has it's just been really good so i don't know if people are just really on top of their coffee purchases lately or or if it's a regional thing or what but it is quite good that's what I'm having now is really good coffee. So moving along to run times, this is something that I kind of started thinking about partly because of Java, because obviously Java is a sort of a famous, a famous runtime really. And, but, but I, I kind of, I sat down and really was thinking about run times and, and there's probably a technical definition of what a runtime is. But I'm going to go kind of broad here and and just let's consider a runtime as really anything anything required by an interpreted language really and 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 I know that some runtimes it's not running an interpreted language so much as it is running a binary thing you know and it's intercepting this stuff so it's not really interpreting the it's it's running something that has been compiled down to something else and and then is running from there. So there's there's you know there are technicalities here and there that maybe we we would be able to discuss, but I'm just going to be really broad and say okay, well there's a runtime for a lot of things. And if you really really think about it, like a lot of things have a runtime. Like anything practically that didn't ship with your computer has you know you kind of think oh there's a runtime or a, you know a dependency at least. But I mean, I'm saying anything probably not correctly, but still, I mean, like if you have a Python application and you want to run it on something that didn't ship with Python, then that, I think, the, effectively that becomes your, your runtime environment, is your, your Python environment that has to be there. And that's, that's a little bit borderline, I realize, because, well, you know, what are we going to call every library a runtime? And no, I, I don't think I would do that. So... So there's there's room for argument, but the I th I feel like the effect is still the same because if I want to run a Java thing, then I have to have the Java runtime installed. If I want to run um, uh, something programmed in the what was it Smalltalk interface, then maybe I would have to have a Smalltalk runtime or or machine or virtual machine or whatever. So and I'm thinking you know for uh, that kids programming thing uh, Scratch. And then I kind of even 
I, I made it even more broad because I thought, well, what about Bash? I mean, Bash is effectively a runtime, which, again, I realize that I'm stretching the uh, the definition of runtime, but but in terms of of people even running a Unix or a Unix-like system, if if you hand them a Bash script, a lot of people will kind of complain about that and say, oh, that's not that's not portable. Those, there's a lot of bashisms in that, and and while I do sympathize with that because we all want all of our things to run on everything, theoretically, th- there are certain things that that are just so darn convenient. You know, like Bash is really really nice. Like, and I, I know this. I've I've lived in TCSH. I've had to endure that that environment for three years of my life. And and I I worked around it a lot, but it wasn't that doesn't mean it was pleasant. It just means that you get to work around stuff. And and I'm not really sure of the advantage. You know, if if, if Bash and TCSH were were wildly, remarkably different uh, in in file size, in yeah, in in the amount of space that they took up and that sort of thing, yeah, maybe I would understand it. Or, or if Bash was not available on anything but Linux or something like that, which would be horrible. Uh, and in fact, in that case, I probably wouldn't use it to be to be perfectly honest. But, but we know that it is available on lots of other things. And so, doing a specifically a Bash script to me doesn't seem like that big of a deal because yes, I am requiring you to have this this wonderful dependency of of Bash or this essentially a runtime because you need you need bash and and it has to have all the different things that bash comes with like all the different interpreted shorthands and tricks and and shortcuts and if you don't have that then it it'll it might try to run in tcsh but it will fail you know the first time you try to set a variable or something so or, or the first time you try to do a loop so so there is a runtime there and i think that it's kind of forgivable because it's an open source and pretty widely distributed or or widely ported well ported uh dependency so not a big deal to me and i guess the same thing goes with java to be honest because uh, i mean there are a lot of people out there who dislike java and who who are very sus- sus- suspect of java and they 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 feel offended by java they don't they don't appreciate when they have to install java you know it's kind of it's a thing for a lot of people but in my experience it's never been a problem and in fact i i quite like java from what i've from what i've done with it and and the ways that i've used it and there's there's quite a bit of the xml stack that eventually depends on java tools so i'm i'm sure there's probably an argument out there well everything you you're doing with that, you could be doing with Perl instead, or or LaTeX, or whatever, and that's probably all very true. But I got indoctrinated into DocBook, and its a stack for whatever reason largely consists of Java tools. And so there's Java, and so it requires some runtime elements from Java, and I'm okay with that. I have not had a problem with Java runtimes. I've I have found them to be quite useful, actually, because they're on all the systems I could ever think to use. I, I have yet to identify a an OS that I don't have access to Java on, which doesn't mean they're not there. I mean, absolutely, there's there's probably several things out there that that Java does not run on. So I'm sure it could be a problem. I'm just saying, in my experience, it has not been a problem.
and it's 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 been pretty reliable. And there's an open source version of Java that so far hasn't really led me wrong at all. Um, it, it seems to pretty much work the same way as as Oracle's version of Java. So yeah, I have nothing wrong with I have no problems with Java personally, at least not yet. Now I'm not saying it's I'm not saying it's the best option. I'm just saying it is an option and the dependency is reasonable. So what would be an unreasonable dependency stack for for your runtime? That's kind of what I really wanted to determine. You know, like what what's wrong with a runtime? Well, it abstracts stuff from something else. People nobody likes that. I, I don't think anyone likes to think that we've added another layer between what I want to get done and myself. I mean that's I think in a way that's kind of what a lot of people have problems with system D for because they feel like it's a layer of abstraction between them and the init process of their computer. And whether it is or not is a completely interesting argument that I won't get into right now, but that's kind of I think that's my impression is that a lot of people think that that's what's wrong with system D is that it's it's separated them away from the 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 raw processes of of system in it. So a lot of us don't like the fact that that runtimes almost by definition separate you know abstract a process away from from it just natively running on a platform. It has to run in the runtime which is running on the platform. That kind of hurts. Maybe you just don't like the performance aspect of it, the you know the performance hit that you inevitably are going to take. Maybe you just don't like the the impurity of of having to talk to a fake layer before getting to the CPU. Maybe you're afraid that that runtime isn't going to work on your OS that is not supported. I don't know, but some you know a lot of people don't like it. Now the problem for me though, really, for a runtime is that sometimes they it, it becomes a dependency that you simply cannot satisfy and like i say that 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 may be problems for more people who you know on on very niche oss and maybe i'm just blind to that because i'm not running those niche oss for me it's it's only a problem with closed source applications and certainly technically speaking it can only it can only ever be a problem with closed source things right because if it is open source then necessarily you could technically possibly port that runtime to your platform now it might not be an easy job it might be something that takes a long time or would take someone smarter than you or me or or whatever but but strictly speaking that is not truly a blocker because it's open source so it can be ported all technicalities allowing. So, closed source stuff, it doesn't really offer you that 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 freedom, obviously. So I'm thinking, for no particular reason, of uh, various spreadsheet applications, because I was, I don't remember why it even came up, but someone was talking about spreadsheets and how much they they really understand spreadsheets. Like, it really makes sense for them. It's... It's and, and I realized, and they were talking about it fairly um, 
fairly passionately, and I, and I kind of, you know, from the glimmer in their eye, I could kind of see that this was a really serious thing for them. Like, spreadsheets were empowering, because, and not just because they can lay things out in a way that made sense to their brain, but because they could script in such a way that it made sense to their brain. And that was the thing that really sort of got me. And I, I've played around with some spreadsheets lately, just for um, for role-playing stuff, like RPG character sheets. So I've, I've been messing around a little bit. I've been flirting with sh- uh, with sp- spreadsheets. And and it has, it has impressed me a little bit in terms of what you could, you know, how many, how much flexibility there really is. Like, I mean, previous to, like, last month, pretty much, uh, any experience with spreadsheet I'd ever had was rows of numbers, and then you select the row, the, yeah, the rows, and you sum the values of those things, and you put the total in an, in the final column. And that's really all I'd ever done. And so it was just sum, a literal sum of numbers being placed into another column. But after I was driven to create a spreadsheet with a little bit more, a few more features, I realized that there were lots of kinds of references that you could make. And I could really see how people were using spreadsheets as, no kidding, relational databases. And it, I, I kind of, it all sort of fell into place for me. I, not enough to make me excited about spreadsheets, um, but I got it. I, I like finally sort of got it. And then I, I really got it when this guy, this, this person was talking to me about spreadsheets because I saw that, that they were, they were talking about spreadsheets as a tool that that kind of gave them this this freedom to to make stuff that otherwise they wouldn't be able to make just because they were familiar with spreadsheet environment and they had access to all of these little inbuilt scripts now the problem with all of this is i mean the 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 benefit of it is that people can program useful applications essentially for themselves all within a spreadsheet and that's really cool. Everybody wants that. I frankly think, I really think programming has and has been and should all of those things be aspiring towards that. Like that's what I mean. Really, at the end of at the end of this all, that's what we really are. That's that's honestly what we want is we want people to be able to make stuff. That they that 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 serves them really well, and and sadly I don't know, I you know and I I don't know if if it's a thing as much as it used to be. I mean you can watch I've probably referred to these before, but you can watch AT and T training videos from from the early 80s, and you can you can hear all about how the initial the, the the reason that Unix was such a big deal and and so exciting was because of the ability to pipe. Like that was such a huge thing that you could do a calculation and then send the result of that calculation to uh, some other program and use the value of that to execute some process, some number of you know that many number of times or or whatever you know just things like I've been talking about with GNU Parallel really, it's just the ability to 
to construct your own applications just by knowing, you know, really just a couple of commands, to be honest. I mean, I have, I've made useful applications just with the find command, the move command, and the ls command. And, and that's fantastic. That's huge that I could, I could change my own workflow by cobbling together a few commands and suddenly I've got this this tool that I've written and designed myself and it's and it's something that I use every single day. I mean, if we really really think about how big of a deal that is, that is huge. The problem is at least ostensibly that people either for whatever reason can't can't think their way through a, a terminal. Like there's there's the there's the phrase that I hear often, quote unquote, I am a visual person. I don't really understand exactly that phrase, but I allow for the idea that that phrase is valid. Some people want to see something other than text on a uh, on a black and green screen, you know. So so if you can go into a spreadsheet and design your own application essentially and and have a, a dynamic interface that that lets you select things and it does calculations for you and it gives you some result or whatever then that's fantastic that's really really cool i love that that's possible and i would almost i would almost be interested to see and this is a horrible thought but i i really would i would like to see someone come up with maybe a kind of a spreadsheet like application builder so it's it's this interface that people would be familiar with enough you know it would be it would be laid out in a grid and it would have common spreadsheet calculation formulas i i don't know how people can possibly work in a spreadsheet honestly like i mean as much as as much fun as i had designing these little character sheets the syntax was just atrocious you know and they're all one liners necessarily because you can't do your formulas, at least as far as I could tell in the spreadsheet. You can't do these formulas. You, you can't script them outside the. They ha, they have to be in a cell, and so you're you're typing this ridiculous, you know, if and then some function like is empty, but then you have to calculate what the is empty is. So it's parentheses, you know, um, offset. Uh, let's do a minus two comma of the current one, so let's say E2, so that would be E delta C, so Charlie 2, uh, close parentheses, comma, uh, and then we do it is empty, we did that already, so then, then, and then there's some kind of, you know, weird notation for the then, and then you do your, your result, and I wouldn't even know how to do an else if, I mean, I could probably figure it out, but I wouldn't want to see it in a one-liner anyway. So yeah, I just I I really don't know how people do it, but they do and they like it. So yeah, this cool little grid layout where people could build their own little applications that could even maybe and this is why I was saying it was horrible talk to the file system, you know? Because I mean, how many people wouldn't would just I'll bet you a lot of those people, those wackos using spreadsheets for everything, I'll bet they would love to come up with a little application for themselves where they could drag and drop a folder of files and then have all those files rename renamed to something sensible or or a media converter you know something 
like they that you could drag and drop a an audio file into your new little application that you designed in your app spreadsheet and and it would convert it to something else because you invoked the function of you know ffmpeg or or whatever i mean it's 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 just i don't know i'm just randomly thinking of of what i think i saw in this person's expression when they were talking about how cool spreadsheets were and how flexible they were and how like you know how great they were and database like they were and all this other stuff that i've just never i've never taken spreadsheets seriously but this person was quite excited about them so kind of thought that was a an interesting thing and then i of course thought well wait a minute they're i mean i'm thinking about libreoffice but they're probably talking about excel like let's let's just be honest they're probably talking about actually they weren't as as it turns out they were talking about libreoffice but the thought was there anyway, and so I kind of thought to I, I kind of recoiled a little bit because I I thought well, all these specific Excel macros and probably I don't know probably some specific Excel functions that don't exist in others or that the syntax is different, and and Excel is not portable and and even if you you know some people you might think oh well you could just go wine and and have our code weavers and have Excel on your Linux box blah blah blah. And that's great. It, you know, first of all, that's a hack, which I I don't mind a hack. I like wine. I think it's amazing. But in terms of saying that's a fair, you know, that's not supported by the creators of Excel. So that's not portability to me. That's that's like portability, but it's not actual portability. So that that concerns me. And of course, even if it is so if we're if we're okay with it being a hack an unsupported hack then then we would still have to be we would have to allow for backwards incompatibility because that would be that would be pretty likely you know your your hack doesn't surface until a year or two years after the product release and in in that two year gap you've got all these people creating these things that you can now you know your runtime looks at and says oh, I don't know what that function means or or that's a macro that I don't understand or whatever. And and I think those macros are often are created in .net or something and so there's a whole layer of questionable sort of uh, you know it's yeah it's a, it's a bit much in other words. So that made me think of the idea that runtimes are are fine but the real problem that we have I think the the I don't think runtime should be a concern i think what should be a concern is how many layers of runtimes do we are we or how many layers of dependencies does a runtime imply that's what's really important right because you can say to me okay well in order to run this program you will need foo runtime and that's fine if if all i need is foo runtime then i can get foo runtime i can install it and i'm up and running but if foo runtime implies that i also need this library or that library, then we're getting we're getting a little this. And now it's not just the runtime that I need, right? There's there's some implied dependencies there. And then even worse, if foo runtime implies that I I need a couple of libraries, and those libraries only happen to be re, uh, available, you know, they only happen to exist on such and such an operating system. Well, now we're really getting into some problems, because now it's not even a runtime really. It's it's a it's it's an OS. It's not not a runtime. It's just an add-on for this OS. And then and then if if that OS itself requires a certain set of let's say hardware or something, 
Well, that's a whole different set of problems, right? Because now it's not just a runtime, it's not just an OS, it's it's an entire ecosystem, as they say, of, of computers that, that, yeah, maybe I don't have access to, maybe I don't want to invest in, whatever the problem, maybe I don't trust it, whatever. And that's the danger, I think, of runtimes. And I think that if if we're talking about runtimes, then we 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 as as programmers and as users and as just kind of people, we need to consider what it, what it implies. And now, now the thing that made me think of this specifically was this fake Excel problem that I thought I had encountered when in reality it was actually LibreOffice not being a problem. But the the other time after I started thinking about this, the other time that I've very directly run into this is the Scratch program for kids. It's a children's programming environment called Scratch. It's a very, very great program. It was absolutely a killer app for a while. And when it was in Scratch version 1, it was fantastic. It ran in a small talk virtual machine, so it was a little bit of a runtime. You could peel back the 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 GUI and look into the virtual machine that was pretty neat I don't, I've never saw a kid actually do it or take advantage of it but pretty neat and it ran on anything and it was fantastic and then they updated to version two and they switched to Flash wait they switched to what yeah Flash the thing that Adobe supposedly has been killing for the past I don't know decade they for some reason these very very smart people at MIT switched to a flash runtime dependency okay technically i think it was adobe air but but that that infra, that that whole world the the flash air sort of universe that is crumbling and yet still seems to be bizarrely popular and well supported so but, but except on linux of course and so this this has become like a serious problem like it's it's it is it it is it is as a runtime killing any hope of 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 running a Linux system in in certain classrooms where you're trying to teach kids uh, Scratch and Scratch I think itself and a lot of people say well it's online now so you just need a browser blah 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 and you know that's that's assuming that you have a network con- connection and all this other stuff so this is a huge topic for me because I support someone who supports classrooms running Scratch so it's something that uh, that I have to deal with in real life because through volunteer work, and it just it infuriates me because, like I say, very smart people, MIT, coming up with a great little application, and they wrap it up in this this dependency that utterly kills a platform. The probably arguably I would say the platform that best supports their ideal of open source. I don't know why they did that. I really don't. They are, for the record, switching to JavaScript, and hopefully that happens sooner than later for version 3 of Scratch. It's still something that I'm going to harp on until it is fixed, because it is really, really bad, and it's atrocious, and it's something that we need to look out for, because runtimes are fine as long as they don't imply closed-source dependencies. That, I think, is all I wanted to say about that subject. So thanks for listening to the show. I will talk to you next time. I will be in New Zealand the next time I record a show, and I think that'll be the show where we talk about Find. So stay tuned. Thanks.
you for listening to the GNU World Order Cast. This has been Klaatu. You can reach me on IRC. I'm on the Freenode network usually in channels such as Augcast Planet, Slacker Media, Slackware, a couple of others. My nick on IRC is not Klaatu. You can also reach me lately on Mastodon. My username there is at Klaatu at Mastodon.xyz. Of course, you can email me at Klaatu at member.fsf.org. That's Klaatu at member.fsf, as in Free Software Foundation.org. And of course, you can visit my various websites, gnuworldorder.info and slackermedia.info. I will see you next time. I think.